Welcome into this week's Sun Devil Source Report podcast. My name is Kalen Jones, and I'm alongside SunDevilSource.com publisher Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm ready for some football. Are you? I am, man. We're recording on a lovely Tuesday morning with the Sun Devils set to open their 2017 campaign with a matchup against New Mexico State at 7.30 p.m. in Sun Devil Stadium. The matchup will mark the start of the sixth season of the Todd Graham era here at ASU, and it begins with a hint of uncertainty after the Sun Devils managed just a 5-7 and seven record last year. Graham has also been tasked with adding several new assistants to his staff, including new offensive and defensive coordinators, which sets the stage for a pretty interesting season to come, Chris. I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen here. You have Phil Bennett, a mentor to Todd Graham, now calling the defense. Todd Graham said that he did a little bit of that at earlier stop of his career at Tulsa, but it's very new to what we have seen at ASU. And then, of course, Billy Napier. It's an offensive system that's going to be quite a bit different from mm-hmm. what we saw last year from Chip Lindsay, and we'll get into a little bit of that later on in the, in the show. Yeah, and for those who are members, you probably know that we delivered an in-depth premium season preview last week but for the rest of our listening audience we wanted to take a moment and give a broader look at what we're watching ahead of the new season and to begin with that the Sun Devils released their depth chart on Monday Chris Um, some interesting notes to look at Um, obviously we kind of expected at this point Manny Wilkins to be the starting quarterback for the Sun Devils and he's the only listed starter you know starter on the on the chart most other schools if you have a quarterback battle you'll see both quarterbacks get a, a bold face but Manny is the number one quarterback what i found interesting just by looking at it um, you see that Kobe Williams is kind of locked down that field corner position and opposite him is Joey Bryant the excuse me Richard Jr who Began as more of a track athlete, but he settled in that boundary corner position. But Chase Lucas, he's listed as a backup option at both spots. Um, that's what I found interesting. Chris, what did you find interesting? Just a few things at? that were kind of remarkable to me. Uh, a, even though Brady White's apparently not cleared to participate, he was still listed as a third-team quarterback ahead of Dylan Sterling Cole. So that's uh, a little bit curious. Also, how about the fact that Ryan Newsom was ahead of John Humphrey? Yeah, that too. Uh, at the Z receiver position. That's mm-hmm. not something that we necessarily expected. Uh, we, we did see Newsom take reps with the ones quite a bit, really, in, in, in about a two-week period after the, after they returned from Camp Tonazona. Right. Um, but we thought maybe they were just kind of splitting those reps, gauging kind of where those guys were at. But really, it, it, it does now appear as though uh, they were prepared to start Ryan Newsom. The one thing that's going to prevent that... Mm-hmm is he's hurt. Uh, he's been on Muscle right. Beach the last few practices. Appears to be bothered by some sort of a leg issue. I'm not exactly sure what it is. As a result of that, I'm sure that John Humphrey will be out there starting. Not even really sure if Ryan Newsom will play. Um, I would say as far as like offense and defense, those two things probably jump out the most. Yeah, and it kind of gives credence, I guess, if we're going to go back to when uh, Todd Graham was trying John Humphrey out at cornerback. Maybe this is why. Maybe he saw... Uh, Ryan Newsom kind of holding down that starting spot and it was weird that you didn't even see you, you get the or bold face if you're considered a potential starter Kyle Williams getting that bold face behind Jalen Harvey 
That was very interesting. And they, um, to that point, you had Billy Napier um, and Rob Lichen saying essentially that they view Kyle Williams as another starter. Uh, Kyle Williams really kind of came on in the last two weeks. There were some impressive blocks that we saw during the media observation windows of practices. We know he's a very dynamic athlete. Yet mm-hmm. Last year, he f- bounced between uh, defense and offense as a true freshman and got out there a little bit. But um, I feel like he's got a chance to really blossom and come into his own. He's one of the, not just uh, better athletes probably that they have at the skill positions on offense, but also extremely bright, uh, intelligent, articulate, sort of a young man. Uh, Barrett Honors College, he's taken these uh, crazy workload uh, of mm-hmm. classes that uh, like Calculus 4 and Quantum Physics or something crazy. Um, so... But he's definitely on the rise and a name that a lot of ASU fans are going to get familiar with in a hurry. Yeah, so let's jump into it, Chris, like position by position. Uh, on offense, we kind of figured, like we just mentioned, Manny Wilkins is the starting quarterback um, with Blake Barnett and Brady White listed behind him. At running back, you have Kalen Balage or Demario Richard listed at that R position. Um, what, what can you tell us about like the running backs and what you expect from that group? Well, I think... Uh, Interestingly about the depth chart, another maybe uh, key thing that we didn't really talk about is you're going to see Demario Richard and Kalen Balaj on the field a lot more together this year because there's a lot more 20 personnel or 21 personnel looks. Um, that means two running backs and zero or one tight end. ASU's depth chart didn't really uh, account for that. It didn't list two, two running back positions utilized right. that way, running back and tailback. But but they have it. If you if you uh, remember back, for example, to like Marion Grice and DJ Foster, uh, when uh, Grice was a senior, they used DJ Foster a lot in the slot and they moved him around. You're going to see a lot more balls thrown to the backs, a lot more of these uh, formations that get those guys on the field together, a lot more just uh, heavier personnel groupings where you have more guys that are in the box, whether they're running backs or tight ends. Quarterback situation really, to me, has been uh, obvious uh, that this was going to be the depth chart since uh, Camp Tanizona. There's really um, no, no reason from, let's say, the first week of August until now to think that Blake Barnett had really pushed up to where he was equal or past right. Wilkins, despite sort of this sentiment out there that exists among people who haven't seen practice, or maybe even people who have seen practice and just sort of are predisposed to believing that the nature of a five-star quarterback is that he's going to come in and just pass Manny Wilkins. But that has not materialized for a number of reasons. We're not going to go all the way down that rabbit hole <laughs> uh, in this podcast, of course, but... Um, and then also just the depth of the running back situation. Right. It's not just that's that they can put mm-hmm. a couple guys on the field, but it's just how many guys that they have. Yeah, and when you really look at it, they cut it down to four. They could re- theoretically really have five options if they were to throw in freshman Traylon Smith. But right now you have Nick Relson, who's coming off the cap injury, who Todd Graham seems, or at least not just Todd Graham, but the entire coaching staff and even teammates are very high on. He told me it was a, it is a hamstring, but it's a hamstring that affects his calf. Ah. Interestingly enough. But yeah, he was back out there getting some first team reps and some second team reps. So he's yeah, in the for mix. the first time. Plus yeah. the two freshmen. Exactly. And when you look at what Eno Benjamin has been capable of and what Todd Graham and again, like players and coaches all seem very high on him. And for good reason, like during Camp T and during media viewing period, he seems very um, composed and mature just from, you know, a, a mental standpoint. But also on the field, he looks like he can contribute should he need to um, early on. 
and Traylon Smith. It's it's in most situations, Traylon Smith would be out there playing with the second or third team. Yeah, he's talented enough because he's quick. Mm-hmm. He, he's uh, 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 ASU's running back coach John Simon said that he's picked up protections relatively well. He's 190 pounds, so he's physically capable of handling it. Um, he catches the ball out of the backfield. I yeah. think that was kind of a steal for yeah. ASU. And he I, runs between the tackles really well. He's too, got quickness size. to the hole. Yeah. So so, but the reality is. How much are you going to really need Traylon exactly. Smith when you have Kalen Balaj, Demario Richard, Nick Rawlson, and Eno Benjamin? And a question would be whether or not they decide to try to preserve his eligibility early on in the season, depending upon if they end up having injuries or other issues. We're not sure, but he's not listed on the depth chart that ASU released. Right. And again, that running back group is four players deep. Um, when you look at the receiver group, though, Chris, um, that's one of the positions, again, we just mentioned. It's arguably one of the deepest on the um, roster heading into this season. Um, looking at the X position, big Nikhil Harry uh, coming off his phenomenal freshman year, 6'4", 216, uh, in contention for being an all-American prospect, I mean, at this point. Um, behind him, you've got Ryan Jenkins and Terrell Chapman listed at that X position. Um, I found that pretty interesting considering – Jenkins has been on Muscle Beach so out or so often throughout uh, both offseason and preseason. Almost the, camp. the entire camp. Yeah. And then he's somehow listed ahead of Terrell Chem. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's probably it speaks to what how highly I think the coaches thought of him before that. I mean, I, I remember back at spring they were saying that he was contention for, you know, being that rotational player, sort of like um how I, I guess it wouldn't be on the same level of Kyle Williams since he's considered a starter, but I, I think they the or they can account or count on Ryan Jenkins. They consider him someone that they can throw into um, and replace and have you know, you know can contribute in a decent way. Yeah, well, uh, I think he would be one of those guys that they view as a dependable, right? The yeah, I didn't want to say it without Graham, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, they they probably would perceive that. I mean, Jenkins is someone that. Uh, even some of his teammates, even though he's a walk-on former uh, Tennessee scholarship player, mm-hmm. um, they they say that he's maybe the best route runner on the team. He's yeah. definitely mm-hmm. up there. So he doesn't have the athletic component of some of these other guys. Uh, and he's probably not going to play in the opener because he's been in green jersey yeah, like for weeks. Week, yeah. But he is right there. And then and then Terrell Chapman is behind Nikhil Harry. That's pretty much been the case consistently for the last year. Uh, the other thing that's possible, even though he's not listed at the X, is Frank Darby has the ability to yes. roll over into the, the boundary. They like him as a vertical threat, Todd Graham has said. And a lot of those shots are going to come at that position, maybe when Nikhil Harry subs out. But one thing I wanted to say about Harry, as long as we're on the subject, mm-hmm. uh, we were asked on the premium podcast, you may remember, Kalen, about what was the potential for Nikhil Harry on the ASU record books as in his career mm-hmm. in receptions. And I said, oh, he'll probably be somewhere up there in the top five or ten. But that's because I hadn't really studied uh, yeah, how many catches that they had. <laughs> well, in, in looking at it, I think Derek Hagan is the all-time ASU leader, maybe even the Pac-12 leader with 258 receptions. Well, Nikhil Harry had 57 catches or something like that last year. If he has two years in a row where he has 75-ish catches, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's just just by that, he's over 200. And there's only Derek Hagan has over 200, I believe. So Nikhil Harry wow. has a really good chance of putting himself in position to be a top three all-time leading receiver in ASU history with a good year this season and that's sort of the expectation yeah and that would be a really interesting story too because he he was a five-star prospect and you don't I mean you saw how Christian Kirk kind of went out to the SEC um but you know Nikhil here decided to stay home Chandler product I think that's really cool to see yeah so um 
what else do we have? We have the, the Z position. You have, that's where you have Newsom, Humphrey, Darby. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about uh, Humphrey and Newsom, uh, their, their sort of situation. I personally think Humphrey may end up the second leading receiver on the team. Of course, that may depend on uh, rep distribution and right, all of that. Exactly. Darby's talented. We talked a little bit about Kyle Williams earlier at their slot position, which they call the H uh, when they're not in two tight end formations. Mm-hmm. And um, and Jalen Harvey, of course, is there. He's the one junior. That's the other thing about this group. Yeah. Very young for very how young. deep that they are. Yeah, very talented, very young group. And you mentioned as one of those players who's considered a dependable on that roster, I think Jalen Harvey is certainly one because the way that they use him across the different formation, what they talk about in terms of his blocking, his receiving ability, and just his grittiness overall. Uh, as a player last year, I remember that, you know, he he would step up in the situations, especially like on third down and like one or two. He'd be able to be a technic. He's pretty technical on like slant routes, I think. And you probably have a better. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. Uh, um, you know, assessment than I do. But I, I think like he he's really dependable in the sense that he shows up when he needs to be better athlete than probably he gets credit for all things considered. So they're probably going to go about five deep at wide receiver. You have Harry Harvey Williams, Newsom and Humphrey mm-hmm. as five guys. And then after that, uh, there's a chance for a sixth player to emerge, whether that's Jenkins Chapman, Frank Darby, uh, maybe even a walk on, uh, Jacob, Jacob Brimhall, yeah. who, who, uh, has converted from running back to wide receiver and looked pretty good in that, you know, sort of an undersized slot yep. type of a role that yeah. you've seen the Patriots offensive weapon and other teams like. sort of use mm-hmm. o- o- over the years. And um, and then you have the, the tight ends. It's very clear cut at the top of the food chain uh, who their top players are at that position group. Yeah, looking at it, at that H position more when they go into 12 personnel, which again, one running back, two tight end, um, you'll have J.J. Wilson out there as number one. Uh, opposite him would be Tommy Hudson at more of a Y position. Uh, behind them on the roster listed, though, two walk-ons are Alexander Ontario, Otero excuse me, and senior Frank Ogas. Right, so that tells you um, that ASU likes the ability for those guys in sub-package situations. Yes. Those walk-ons, they're uh, players that we've seen out there very consistently uh, in short yardage and goal line situations, and even ahead of some of the other scholarship players that they have at the position group, um, like, for instance, um, uh, uh, out of, uh, Jared Bubak out of Nebraska. Of mm-hmm. course, Christian Hill had the academic issue and he hasn't been with the team at all. It appears as though he's not going to be with the team moving forward, at least not at the outset of the season. Right. And then uh, there's some other players that they have, that, like Mark Walton. C.J. Frenchlove is interesting because yes, he's he been is. kind of banged up, not not on the depth chart here, either the Y or the H position. But we saw him as a somewhat effective blocker in the box at times at Camp, at camp Tanazona. So he's another guy who, who could flash in there. And then transitioning over to ASU's offensive line, it looks as though right now they, they, they feel as though they have six starter capable players according to Rob Sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kaylin, why don't you just kind of walk us through what that group looks like going into the season? Well, for now, it seems like it's settled down as the same starting five that we've seen over the past two weeks with their base, you know, first team unit. Uh, you have at left tackle, you have Cole Cabral, left guard Sam Jones, center AJ McCollum, right guard Steve Miller, and right tackle Quinn Bailey. Now, Zach Robertson has seen time at right tackle um, when they've tried to flip over Cole Cabral in the center, see what they have there, and then switching over uh, Steve Miller over in the left tackle. It's been interesting configurations up until this point, but it's, you know, reassuring, I guess, more or less to see that they've settled in on this group. 
Um, what I also found interesting, uh, just looking at it, um, that you see Tyler McClure listed as the backup center and then Kate Cody listed as a third team option at left guard instead of being a backup center option. Um, I, I think that that's probably the most you know, wor not necessarily worrisome position, but the position that ASU is probably keeping its um, closest eye on heading into the new. I wouldn't be surprised at all if during the game against New Mexico State, like at some point they do try out if they get ahead enough or if they feel like it's, you know, it warranted, like they may try out Cabral at center. I wouldn't be surprised if they try like any different configuration to see like in the game, you know, in game, like what their best five unit is. Sure. I mean, you have... The only the only senior is McCollum. He's probably your most athletically limited player among exactly. your starters, which is somewhat of the concern. Uh, of course, Robertson's uh, most likely position is right tackle. So in the event that any player gets injured along their front, they're going to move Robertson into the lineup, probably at right tackle, and then they'll reconfigure accordingly, kicking Quinn Bailey inside in or yeah. doing whatever else that they need to do. They're going to have it, – it, it, when you look at an offensive line depth chart, it's not just a natural linear progression if somebody gets knocked out of the lineup. The person behind them on a depth chart often isn't the person that's going to be the first person into the game, yeah. but that's just the person who works at that position with the second team on a practice setting. Now, Rob Sale told us that – uh, their seventh and eighth players on the depth chart mm -hmm. are Mason Walter uh, and, and then also at guard, uh, they have Alex Lasoya. So uh, depending on if they need a guard or a tackle, perhaps if they have to go to a seventh and eighth guy, those are the types of those are the players that we'll probably see coming into the game. Right. And and flipping over to the ASU defense now, a lot more solidified in the front seven. Then on the back end where there's still a lot of tinkering that's taking place even up until uh, the last few practices, what jumps out most to you about, about what we see from this ASU defensive unit? Uh, well, looking at you mentioned it. They've kind of settled in with JoJo Wicker at more of that three-tech uh, defensive tackle position. I'm not surprised there. Um, but looking at it, just seeing A.J. Lotz, whose name listed as that third-string uh devil backer even though the other day one of the coaches said that I believe it was Phil Bennett said that AJ was more of a second team uh, devil backer option um, he's also listed as the starting edge and then J Jojo Wicker who we've seen spend time at edge or, or that defensive end position uh, with the second team he's listed as a third third string option behind Doug Suttle I think that the configuration of, you know, having potentially Abe Thompson and Doug Suttle out on the field, along with Shannon Foreman inside ahead of, of George Lee at uh, defensive tackle and Renell Wren, I think it's a really interesting look as far as what their second team unit could be. So I think uh, between Abe Thompson, who's a walk-on out of Arizona Western, and A.J. Latu, um, it's, they haven't they have it listed as an or. My my sort of guess is this is like the defensive line. Obviously, if AJ Latu is playing with the first team in practices at the end spot, they're probably not going to rep him with the second team at Devil. But I think in the event that they need to, they would probably use Latu over there. The other possibility is when you go to a bigger. Uh, front against certain teams, right. then you may want to use Aja Latu as a heavier de devil playing more like a defensive end right. and, and use Karan Crump in a different sort of a way, perhaps. Um, Jojo Wicker, of course, played the last two years as ASU's starting defensive end. The Moving him inside to the position that Tagram initially recruited him to play, he's added 15 pounds, told us he's now up to about 280, was 265 or so pounds last year. Uh, he's got a chance to probably make more of the hero type plays uh, as a three technique because that's where Will Sutton played and had so much success in the ASU scheme. 
Uh, they're using Tayshawn Smallwood more of a nose uh, this year than they have in the past. He's always been a three-tech. But one thing we're seeing from this unit is they're shifting a lot up front. They're moving guys around to different sort of techniques. Uh, I think definitely Shannon Foreman is like their fifth option right now. If you have uh, your, your, your front four starters are Crump, uh, Wicker, uh, Smallwood, and Latu, the next guy that's kind of uh, gotten those reps is Foreman at tackle with Wicker kicking back to end. After that, the next guys in line are definitely Rennell Wren and then perhaps George Lee or maybe um, uh, Jordan Hoyt, who's walking out of Chandler High School. And then Doug Subtail is probably like a third-team end who may get opportunities in this in this practice. I know a lot of casual fans know about Doug Subtail because he was such a highly regarded prospect. His improvement has been pretty substantial since the start of practices till now, but he started so far behind from a technical and football uh, understanding standpoint that he just hasn't been able to push through to where he's going to get starter opportunities. Maybe later in the season, he could get some sub-package reps. Um, and then at linebacker, Kalen, there just isn't the same uh, quality depth. Last year, we know ASU got hurt by having uh, Salamo Fizo out for the first four games of the season. Then you had mm-hmm. uh, uh, Christian Sam with the, the ankle sprain in the first game that cost him his year, and they had to do all kinds of tinkering to try to figure out what they could do to, to make it work. Uh, how do you see this group... like? the capability both at the top and then also what's behind them. Well, at the top, I mean, having Christian Sam back at that will position, I think that's significant because again, he was the second leading tackler um, in 2015. And then unfortunately was lost in the season opener last season. Um, Just having him kind of as a foil of sorts, the DJ Calhoun, uh, Calhoun being more of a run stopper, Sam being more of a, a better pass coverage linebacker. I think that works in unison. I think that that's what Bennett has spoken about this off or excuse me, both in the offseason leading up into the preseason, just having them back as veteran presence is definitely encouraging. And then their potential, I guess I would say, they could be all-conference performers. I really and truly do think that, that at their at their peak capability that Calhoun could be a, a all-conference, a Pac-12, all-Pac-12 performer, and as for Christian Sam too. But looking behind them, um, especially at Sam's position at the will, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. They're bringing down a former safety who – and Deion Guinard, who had just converted over to safety last season. I mean, he had been a receiver and a quarterback prior to playing on defense, and he's only listed at 6'2 and 214 on ASU's official depth chart. So you get a little bit lighter there. He said that he does enjoy playing there a bit better than he did uh, when they were trying him over at Devil during uh, the preseason. So that'll be interesting to see. And then also at the mic spot behind Calhoun, how – uh, how much faith do you have in Kalen Thomas? I mean, the coaches have been saying that they really like what he does. It's just a matter of him being consistent. Um, Malik Wall trying to try and that mic position as opposed to being on the edge, um, whether or not he kind of settles in at that position too or whether he even pushes uh, for you know playing time. I'm really shocked to see that he's a third-team option at this point and not considered maybe an edge player. But it, the interior uh, linebackers, it's going to be interesting to see uh, whether or not you know that unit can you know be stable enough at front where you don't have any concerns about I think second I think they need to stay healthy uh, Christian Sam uh, is, is a standout player capable of being all pack 12 as you said um, DJ Calhoun as a senior needs to do a better job with some of the key read assignments and tackling that we've seen in the past he seems a little bit leaner lighter and a little bit more mobile to me the the backups are athletic enough to play Dion Gwynyard um, 
should be able to handle that will spot right. um, athletically. And of course, Kalen Thomas has had a lot of promise. Some services had him rated as a four-star guy. Malik Lawal, he's bounced around all over the place. I still probably like him better as an edge rusher, but maybe he gets an opportunity to play at Spur. I just don't know what they have there. And then and then moving over to the Spur position, of course, they have to replace Laio Mokiola. You have Marcus Ball, who was their leading tackler in the second half of last season after he moved from, from Spur to Bandit, which they now call their down safety. Um, he's been on Muscle Beach and out of action quite a bit. He's got medical and then also... Um, you know, apparently some 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 aches and pains that he's battling through. Tyler Wiley is a is a backup there, but the person that they're really counting on is Jamarcus Rhodes. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see. I think that when looking at Jamarcus Rhodes, the weight that he put on this year, he looks physically just more suited for the front seven as opposed to being you know that deeper, I guess, cover or even a bandit safety at this point. Um, I, I think that he does offer a bit of athleticism though um, for the position. Um, he's been making a lot of plays during uh, pr- recent practices during the media viewing sessions, he's especially been, in the back. Ex- I was about to say, yeah, he's scrimmage. been really do- doing well against the run, like making a lot of stops behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and he's also been even at camp too. We saw him get a sack or two during the scrimmage itself. So uh, I think that his progression has been uh, at least encouraging throughout uh, the off season. Behind him, though, I, it's it's interesting to see that the coaches are very high on on. Tyler Wiley as being like a second option or as being like a dependable player, at least, you know, someone who can step in and, and rotate in. But Marcus Ball um, last year was mentioned as being one of, you know, Todd Graham said he's one of their best 11 defensive players last year. So you would expect him to, you know, be in the starting lineup this year, perhaps. Um, I, I think that they're actually pretty, you know, solid at the position. It's just a matter of, you know, um, whether or not, you know, roads can be productive. And if Marcus Ball can stay healthy, I think that that's one of the more encouraging uh, spots along the defense. But, you know, furthering our, our conversation on the secondary, uh, let's take a look at the, the back four. When you look at cornerback, you have Joey Bryant uh, starting at the boundary corner. And at field corner, you have Kobe Williams. Uh, both guys would be starting for the first time. They'll be making their Sun Devil debuts this weekend, or excuse me, on Thursday when, when they do step on the field. Um, and then at safety, at down safety, you have Dasman Tadalatasi, and cover safety, you have Chad Adams. So, Chris, what what do you kind of make of this back four unit? Far and away, it's it's the most inexperienced, and also the most questionable in terms of what they're going to be able to get productivity wise from this group. Uh, everybody knows at this point, ASU was last nationally against the pass, um, historically bad. They've changed a lot of their processes with uh, how play calling works, um, something that we've gone into really extensively on the premium podcast. And they're going to need that to, to allow them to execute at a much higher level and have fewer misassignments and all that because um, just from a, a uh, experience and talent standpoint, they're going to be behind the curve in the Pac-12. And, and, and maybe it is true, as Graham and Bennett have said, that they like their quickness and athleticism at cornerback, but not enough to, to offset their lack of, of size and experience. Uh, when you look at Kobe Williams, 5'10", 162, that's a very generous listing. Um, Chad Adams is an undersized player as that uh, cover safety or field safety 5'9", 191. The deflections and the interceptions yes. are probably not going to be very high this year. So what what, what hap- has to happen is got to get a uh, pressure on the opposing quarterbacks, and then you have to be- basically be in position to make tackles and then make those tackles and not let uh, defenses get behind you or run through you. 
offenses get behind you or run through you. Yeah, and I, I think definitely physically this team, maybe they're more athletic, but physically, you know, as far as being able to contest passes and, you know, contend with bigger Pac-12 receivers, it's going to be extremely difficult. Um, you, you touched on the experience, and it is really interesting to see that, you know, you don't have Maurice Chandler, who's listed. I mean, he's the only other senior that would have been in contention for a, a starting position outside of Chad Adams. Um and then having, you know, guys who are freshmen and true freshmen and Ty Thomas and then Langston Frederick even listed um, Ty Thomas listed as a, a potential option, a backup option and cover safety. And then Langston Frederick listed as an option at down safety. I, I think that's really interesting to see that there's no really in between, I guess, so to speak, where you have guys who have, you know, some general experience, but not a whole lot. But there's really this either you, you're a senior or with no experience or you're really a young player without any. Right. Uh, you look at like a cornerback. It seems as though even though Chase Lucas may not play in the opener, for you know, Tagram made a mm-hmm. veiled suggestion that there may be some accountability issues with some of their players. Chase Lucas was very consistently on this at second team, uh, a cornerback behind Joey Bryant, and then in the last week he he hasn't been with the two deep. Um, so, but I, I really do believe that their that their top three corners, as they perceive it to be, are Kobe Williams by far at that field corner side. He's been the starter since day one of camp all the way till now. And then Joey Bryant uh, on the boundary with Chase Lucas, kind of the backup. They also have Darian Cornet, the junior college transfer. Uh, Maurice Chandler is another option that they have. Safety, I think, is much less solidified in terms of who their top options would be behind. Right. Chad Adams and Daz Tatsulatasi, depending on Marcus Ball's situation. But at field safety, I really don't even have a strong idea of who they would go to. They could play uh, Ty Thomas, as you said, who's practiced with the twos. They could play mm-hmm. Langston Frederick. Uh, the other uh, wild horse, uh, uh, wild card, pardon me, candidate would be uh, DeMonte King, who right. they listed as a, as a uh, cover safety. Uh, but he hasn't even been practicing yeah. all camp because he's had Bennett so they wouldn't even be available for the first two games, correct? Won't play for the first two games minimum. Maybe Texas Tech, it seems like. Uh, and then another possibility is a guy who's who's been hurt, who's a true freshman, and that's Evan Fields. Um, it, it seems like he's been banged up pretty much throughout camp. They thought he would be able to come in and play right away. Uh, he told me the other day that he's going to miss the opener, but they're still talking like he might play early on in the season. So secondary. Far and away, the the biggest concern for ASU defensively, yeah. quarterback probably the biggest concern for ASU offensively. Of course, this team has a huge task on its hands in replacing uh, two of the best specialists in the country last year. The best yeah, kicker by far is Zane Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Maybe the best in NCAA football history is multiple career records. They're uh, replacing him with Brandon Ruiz, who's a true freshman. He was, by some accounts, number one kicker in the country. Uh, flipped on Alabama to sign with ASU, the hometown school. Michael Sleep Dalton replacing Matt Hawk as a punter. Big leg, some inconsistencies with the drop. He, he's on the Ray Guy watch list yep. for best punter in the country without even having ever played a game at ASU, which is a, that's a good sign for them. And then some of their return options, you have John Humphrey, Ryan Newsom and Kalen Balazs between punt and kickoffs in terms of what the possibilities are. It looks like Humphrey from the get-go is going to be a key guy that they rely on. They're on special teams. Um, do you think from what you've seen that, that they're not going to have as big a, of a drop-off with their, their special teams units as might typically the, be the case given how much that they're losing there? Um, I, I don't think so. And, 
Uh, if, in terms of specialists, uh, I, but you I think, don't think they'll have a big as big of. Uh, okay. I think the only difference is going to be the production. I don't think you can the. The difference here is the amount of long field goals, if you're going to put it in that perspective. Like Zane Gonzalez, I, I, he led the league. He was 7 for 8, I believe, or 7 for 9 from yards that were over 50, 45, 45 yards or more. 350 plus ones exactly. in a game. Exa- in one single game. I don't think you're going to see Brandon. And that would, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if he did. But we'll see. I, I don't see him doing – I don't see Ruiz going out there and, you know, being counted on to kick 50 yarders consistently the way that Zane Gonzalez was last season. Well, he so, ha- he'd have to be one of the best. He'd be one of the best kickers in the country. Exa- exactly. Yeah. And it took Zane Gonzalez four years to build into that. Like, I'm honestly interested to see whether or not, and you could probably tell me if Todd Graham, like actually said that Ruiz is going to be the kickoff specialist. I think that that's something he's going to have to build. I towards. think he suggested that was likely to be the case after one of the scrimmages. They had a, um, I think he was kicking it about five to seven yards deep in the end zone. And yeah. so they felt like that's probably the direction they're going to go. Yeah, exactly. So if he he can build towards it, but I don't think you're going to see the peak, you know, Brandon Ruiz in, in year one. As for Michael Sleep Dalton, I think that what we saw at Camp T alone, I think suggests that he has the capability of being, you know, on the caliber of Matt Hawk. Um, I think that, again, like we, we've mentioned it over and over again, like how consistent ASU second, to, second or excuse me, special teams was last season as far as, you know, pinning opponents deep and really giving them a shot to win the field battle game. I think that's going to be important, especially this year with such an unexperienced secondary unit. But in terms of the return game, I'm, I, I think it's, it, there should be good reason for excitement. When you look at what John Humphrey is able to do, we talk about, you and I talked about like his phone booth quickness, just what he's able to do in terms of shifting through people. Um, especially like when you have three or four players who are about to make contact and him just being able to squirt away and, and, you know, get positive yardage. And then looking at Ryan Newsom, I believe he told me that he set like his, his school record or even a state record for punt returns, mm-hmm. uh, punt return yardage during his senior year. So it, it, you got two capable options and two, you know, experienced ones. And then you have the, the freak of nature and Caleb Blush, who's a potential kickoff return specialist too. So I, I think the return game should be much improved this year. Sean Slocum is, is happy where they're at athletically and, and thinks that that could improve their core special teams play. Um, just uh, getting guys that are on kick coverage, uh, kick return, that are able to execute exactly what it is that they're trying to do. And then let's run through real quickly, since we've gone through the dev chart, um, just – one or two things that we see playing out thematically, Chris, what, what's one thing that you see is a big thing to watch over the course of the season for ASU? Offensively, I, I, I just touched on it earlier, but I would say uh, the different types of personnel groupings and formations that we're going to see from this offense with Billy Napier, I think there's going to be a much more of a demonstrated commitment to running the football inside. I also think there's going to be more of a demonstrated commitment to being able to tailor what they're doing structurally offensively to fit their personnel uh, as opposed to um, um, just sort of trying to make your personnel fit within the, a more rigid uh, approach to offense which we saw from Chip Lindsay last year with the 11 personnel being really um, the predominant uh, formation that they used um, I, I think Kalen Balage and Demario Richard are going to be on the field a lot together I think Kalen Balage will be better utilized and I think you're going to see a lot of passes to those guys and especially to Kalen Balage as a way of trying to get him to where he can access space better where his speed then uh, takes over. I think the one thing to watch on or the theme I guess to watch on the offense is the quarterback position. Um, If Manny Wilkins can secure his job over the course of the first four or five weeks and I I think that he should be and you know not only that but also stay healthy. Um, Are you making a prediction on that? 
I'm I'm not making a prediction on that. I'm just okay. saying like <laughs> it, it'll be interesting to watch, and then whether or not the dynamic between um, or whether he's able to hold on to the spot, whether Blake Barnett is able to come in and potentially take over, uh, how he looks, and then even the consideration of Brady White, like you mentioned earlier, like uh, whether or not he's healthy enough. Um, you know the the timeline for him to be you know returned from that. Um, leg injury last year, or excuse me, that foot injury last year would be during ASU's bye week. So, if, you know, if the job is up in the air and Brady White does look good, there's a potential for that. So that's something to watch. I think the other thing that I'd Wait, sorry. Th- so, mm-hmm. so do you think that the quarterback position will remain unsettled even into October and November? Is that is that a take that you have? What do you think is more likely? The quarterback position remains unsettled or uh, Manny Wilkins does well and solidifies his role as started throughout the season. I think I'd lean on the this side is of about, This is yeah. about a take, yeah. not about presenting what may happen, because we know what, yeah. could, we know what the possibility okay. is. What do you, what do you, what, what's more likely? In your well, it's more likely that it's unsettled by, okay. by the time of the bye week, which there is why go. Brady White becomes an option. I'm going to push you out on that ledge and make you take a position. Yeah, okay. okay. I'll, I'll stand on the hill. If I... <laughs> One thing that I think defensively that we're going to see – this year that's going to be very different is you're not going to probably have at least at the outset of the, of the year Todd Graham wearing those yellow and red wristbands and signaling all over the place and trying to get his players defensive audibling uh, to adjust to the play and and uh, Phil Bennett is expected to call and signal the defense from the sidelines for ASU that's a very important distinction that could yield a different sort of communication on the field and I'm going to be really focused on how that manifests in terms of whether or not they have as many misassignments or communication breakdowns uh, because to me that more than anything else will determine whether they're able to be much improved uh, at at, uh, not giving up as many big plays this season. Yeah, that that certainly will be, you know, something to watch, especially since, you know, this is Todd Graham's baby, and it's really weird hearing him talk about how he's basically giving up, you know, responsibilities for, you know, calling his defense. Um, Recognition is the first step, kid. It is. It is. (laughs) That's true. That is true. (laughs) Um, I I think the other thing, though, that I'm I'm really watching going into this year, um, the use of tight ends, and, you you know, you touched on it earlier, like the 12 personnel um, being significantly used a lot. what, how they're able to utilize J.J. Wilson. And he only had four catches last year, and it blows my mind. It really blows a lot of people's mind. Dereem went for touchdowns. So the potential in that, I, I think that it, it, we've seen, you know, flashes of it during uh, practices, like how they're able to use him both, you know, within the short, the intermediate, and also the big game. I, I think him as a presence within the seam, I, I think he – he really is. Set. He's in position to have a pretty good season. You're forecasting a dramatic improvement. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. Yes. In, in the amount. J.J. Wilson will have a significant improvement this season. There's my theme to watch. I think that's true. I 100% <laughs> agree with you. Okay. So what's next? We're taking a look at New Mexico State real quickly. Um, ASU is opening its year, or excuse me, opening its season against New Mexico State, and it will mark the first time that the two teams have matched up since 1999. And Chris. I wanted to ask you, do you happen to remember that matchup? Because <laughs> the Sun Devils were ranked 20th in the country. They were upset by New Mexico State 35-7 to in Sun Devil Stadium. I can't recall it. I was too young. But I was wondering if you happen to remember what, what it was like watching that game. Yeah, that, that, was a year, that was a year after I left ASU. Uh, uh, and I wasn't living in, in town anymore, so I wasn't at that game. But I remember very vividly what happened. It was before we started actually covering the team um, uh, thoroughly. But 
but yeah, I mean, ASU was ranked 20th, I believe. Uh, lost to New Mexico State. New Mexico State at that point in time hadn't hadn't had a winning season in a handful of years. And it went through just this little brief period where it started to be a little bit more competitive in that 99 through like the very early 2000s. And then subsequent to that, uh, after maybe 2002, it hasn't had a, a winning season again. So exactly. that was that was a very foreboding thing that happened that season. It was like one of the worst losses in ASU football history mm-hmm. of the Pac-12 era. Uh, and, and certainly ASU needs to avoid... Uh, anything that remotely comes close to that in in this season opener, and I, I anticipate that it will, uh, because because if not, um, this is going to be a long one, long year. Well, they're going to have a little bit, you know, they it won't come easy because they do, or excuse me, the Aggies do present a potential, you know, threat, especially looking at their offense at, at running back Larry Rose the third, who's leading the fourth leading fourth leading active rusher in NCAA right now last season uh, was hampered by an injury uh, missed the first three years but prior to that during his sophomore year finished as a third team all-american uh, voted by the Associated Press I think that he's someone who could be you know a difference maker especially early on for the Sun Devils if they're not able to shake them early it's going to be a test this is a, a uh, 11 personnel one back Offense more similar to what we saw from Chip Lindsey's style of offense. Rose is electric. Uh, two years ago, 1,650 rushing yards. That is really, really hard to accomplish. Uh, last year, as you said, he missed the first three games. He was hurt, only ended up with 900 and some odd rushing yards. I say only in quotes. I mean, ASU's only had three or 4,000-yard rushers over the last 15 years. So, so just even getting to that threshold in nine games is a really impressive accomplishment. And it's going to be a test for ASU. We're going to get to see, you know, ASU historically under Todd Graham has been very good against the run, Kalen, but they backslid quite a bit last year. Yeah. And, and this will give us some sort of a barometer for where they're at at the outset. The goal, in my estimation, is going to be, you know, pin their ears back, try to, try to, to run blitz, you know, get in there, prevent quarterback from having operational time, prevent the running back from having lanes to operate. Uh, and we'll see how they're able to do with that. And then also whether or not it, pro- it provides opportunities in the passing game in some man coverage situations uh, for the Aggies. Yeah, and we'll have more preview content available on sundevilsource.com uh, later this week ahead of the let's game. Make our pre- let's make some predictions uh, for, on the free one this time. Okay. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, and I, I, I may change this just because I haven't finished doing my, my studying of New Mexico State, but just for right now, I'm going to say the ASU wins 48. Eight to twenty-three. Okay, um, I'm gonna go low scoring, lower scoring game. I'm gonna go thirty-eight seventeen. Thirty-eight seventeen. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So let's let's get down to the brass tacks. Um, what record do we think ASU will have at the end of the season, and what does Todd Graham need to do to kind of get off this hot seat? Well, I started out thinking that ASU was going to be about a six-win football team when we when going back to, to spring football, mm-hmm. and then I've sort of meandered a little bit here and there, thinking maybe five, maybe seven wins. Never, never more than seven. Never, never fewer than five. You know, some of the forecasts have ASU being a really bad football team and only winning three or four games this season. Right. I really don't anticipate that happening, but I think the schedule um, is is very difficult through the middle. 
uh, we, we actually did a breakdown in which going by Associated Press rankings, ASU has the hardest middle third of the schedule of any team in the country, any, any FBS power five school in the country. So maybe like 70 ish schools, 60 some schools. Um, I just don't think given it's youth and it's quarterback play, it's going to be able to overcome that entirely, but I don't think it's going to be as bad of a team structurally, or maybe even fundamentally as we saw last season. Uh, uh, but I don't see the record really significantly improving, uh, I'm going to say six and six. Uh, they make a bowl game. They start out reasonably okay. They go through a really rough patch. Then they win a couple games at the end of the season. And um, is that going to be enough for Todd Graham to save his job is sort of like the $64,000 question, just given that they barely made a bowl game two years ago, then lost to West Virginia for a losing season. They lose last year. Uh, don't don't get to a bowl game for the first time in the Graham era. I think that he may need more than six and six, Kalen, to feel confident in okay. his ability to to retain his job moving into the next season. Six and six is just kind of right on that fence line about what's possible. Seven wins, he's probably safe. Um, but uh, in the big picture, mm-hmm. ASU is still quite young. Uh, overall, even though it's a, a Todd Graham would say a veteran team, you look at all like four offensive line starters, all their uh, receivers or juniors are younger. They have talent at running back. Their quarterbacks are juniors and younger. You look at their defense. Um, you know, a couple guys are, are seniors. Calhoun and Smallwood are seniors. Chad Adams, but are those guys non-replaceable players? I don't really think so in the grand scheme of things. And uh, Jamarcus Rhodes is a senior, Marcus Ball. But I really think that ASU actually should be better next year if they can get some traction and solidify, get to a bowl game, get those bowl practices, seven wins, and Todd Graham probably saves his his uh, his tenure. And um, But it's going to be really touch and go probably throughout – throughout the season. Yeah, see, I was kind of different from you because I started off thinking – I started off at the five-win threshold back in spring. Like, I, I didn't think that they would win more than five games. But I've kind of come around the, – the closer we get to the start of the season, I'm at six and six. That's where I project them to. Um, I, I think that they're going to start really hot. Like, they're going to they're gonna get off to this 3-0 run. Then, you know, as you mentioned, the middle stretch of that year, that's just too much for them to really overcome. Um, I, I think, as you mentioned, the quarterback play, I just think the secondary unit at this point is still – too much of you know a question mark going forward. I don't think that it improves enough to the point where they can handle the I guess like the speed and the talent of the other Pac-12 passing offenses um, to the point where they're not able to keep up. And then at the end of the season, I think they figure it out though. I, I do think that some a, a switch kind of flips when they play Oregon State, uh, UCLA, and U of A towards the end of the year where they they win three straight and kind of save their season. And I think just. In that sort of sense, like thematically, I know that, you know, fan bases, they feel things. You know, it's all emotion when you're a fan and watching things. So, and I, I think fans are going to be really upset watching Todd Graham throughout the middle season when if they're at three and six and they rattle off three straight wins, all of a sudden the mindset kind of changes. Like, oh, like you mentioned, going forward, this is a younger team. As for everything that Todd Graham says about, you know, being a veteran unit, this is a younger team. Like, um, when, when you look forward, um, I, I think the fact that, they'll be able to take that confidence or, you know, even that perspective going into the new year. Um, it, it's going to be significant for what happens moving forward. And I think it does it, – it should be enough to save Todd Graham's job. I'm, I'm fascinated by this because the 
the other scenario is that it, it, under your sort of uh, paradigm that you set up here, if the, if ASU is three and six, there's a after what's happened in the last two seasons, there's also the possibility of a team sort of checking out, spiraling, and circling the drain, and then and then just, the whole thing gets blown up. So I I don't anticipate uh, any sort of recovery if they're three and six, but I do think that it's possible they could start the season four and zero because you have Oregon as the first Pac-12 game, or maybe maybe three and one. My guess is three and one. And then maybe they squeeze out one win out of the next four games somehow, hmm. and then maybe they win, um, you know, two or three games down the stretch with the, when you have the Arizona and the Oregon States and those, right. those sorts of situations. My but, thing is that, like they buy the players buy into the position coaches. I know that you know Todd Graham is a head coach, but they're position coaches. I, I know you know it's all cliches and what co- what players want to say and what coaches want to say, but there there is. You, there is a tangible difference yeah. in, in terms of buy-in for what the players are doing, like in terms of with their their coaches and the belief that they have in them and what they're doing as opposed to Lash. Well, the, the ultimate judge of Todd Graham's words will be whether or not this team has the character to finish yeah. <laughs> in the way that yeah. he believes his team has that sort of character, right? The highest GPA in the history of ASU football since they started doing the APR numbers now at a 3.0. It was at a 2.22 when Graham took over from Dennis Erickson. Graham talks all the time about having the discipline and the character and all those things be elevated. And he may actually need that in the last month of the season to save his job. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like, so I think that that'll do it for us. Correct. I, I don't think that we have anything else to touch on. Um, anything else that you want to mention, Chris? No, we'll we'll uh, we'll leave it there. And looking forward to seeing everybody on Thursday at Sun Devil Stadium. Make sure you say hello if you if you see us. All right, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Again, my name is Kalen Jones for Chris Cartman. Thank you for tuning in and check out SunDevilSource.com. Mm-hmm.